Hey everyone, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. As always, brought to you by you with your support on Patreon.com. Today we're going to be having an informal debate on the existence of God. Uh, we have Objectively Dan, who runs the Truth Wanted YouTube channel. Uh, it's an atheist show, lots of great content over there, so there's a link down below if you want to subscribe. And we have Tim, who runs Invoking Theism, a Christian YouTube channel, also down below so you can go and subscribe. Um, so welcome you both. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thank you, thank you. Awesome. So today what we're going to be doing is just a very informal debate on the existence of God. So what's going to happen is we're going to open it up to Tim. He's just going to give his general thoughts. Um, and then Dan can kind of respond and we'll go back and forth about 50 minutes. And then we'll go talk about evolution specifically. And then a little bit of closing remarks and then Q&A. Um, but Tim, are you frozen or am I just... Um, he looks frozen to me. Tim. Okay. Well, I guess we'll just kind of start without Tim. Um, so... <gasps> Oh, which is kind okay. of awkward he was supposed to open. Um, so right. maybe, Dan, you want to kind of introduce yourself and just talk about your position? And sure. Yeah. Well, again, I'm, my name is Objectively Dan. I'm the host of uh, the Atheist Community of Austin's Truth Wanted. It's a live call-in show. happens Fridays, 7 p.m. Central, so you should check it out. I bring in guests every single week, and this month I'm actually um, featuring exclusively theists as my guests. So it's been a pretty interesting conversation so far. But in terms of... My position on this particular issue, I oh, there's Tim. Sorry, <laughs> there internet, he is. Internet went down, came back up. Well, I was literally about to say my position, but now we can get to you, Tim. You can go ahead and and take the lead. So, oh, dude, you're so kind, man. Uh, all right. Well, uh, what's going on, guys? Uh, really glad to be here in this discussion. Discussion, my favorite stuff. So, I I, I see that I see the God question mm -hmm. as something. Um, we're, we're being more fundamentally concerned with ultimate origins, um, final explanations of things. I see it in terms of uh, what you could call metaphysical bedrock. So if we look at like what we would refer to someone like Rasmussen would, would be advancing kind of the idea that every worldview has uh, a foundation. And these foundations, and, and really a worldview is everything you believe. And we kind of have these grand theories of reality. And so the God question is what you could call a grand theory of reality. It has uh, the scope of what philosophers refer to as the world. And the world is uh, just simply what reality is. Um, and so reality is this way. And we have our different foundations of reality. Um, and, our, and our different foundations of reality, they're going to have innumerable uh they're going to have innumerable like implications. And so when we think about um, the foundations of reality, it's really going to influence what we think of in other areas, such as things like ethics, um, such as things like uh, mind and whatnot. And, and what we see is these fundamental features of reality. So when I look at the God question, I'm concerned with what foundation of reality, what metaphysical best uh, bedrock really captures and illuminates these parts of reality that we're all kind of trying to experience. We're all trying, that we all do experience that we're all trying to um, make as much sense as possible of. So um, we do these things through, we, we see theism as simply a metaphysical theory. It's a explanatory hypothesis. And rival, its rival is naturalism. Naturalism entails atheism, but atheism doesn't necessarily entail naturalism. But naturalism entails atheism, and naturalism would be on the other side. It'd be theism's rival. 
And these are both explan metaphysically explanatory hypotheses in which we are trying to both explain the uh, different features and fundamental features of reality. So like I mentioned earlier, you have minds, uh, morals, the normative principles, uh, uh, logical facts, these necessary facts, um, uh, orderly law, uh, orderly universe, uh, well, a physical complex universe governed by very simple orderly laws, scientific discoverability, things that sort of evils, whatnot. This is what the question concerns. I think that under theism, theism Oh, we lost him again. Lost him again. Are there? there? Yeah. What did I? What uh, do you hear? You the said, last thing you were going to say the theism posits, I believe. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So theism posits one uh, being, and being in philosophy just means a thing, something that exists. Um, and this being is a being of the simplest kind, um, which is, you know, uh, non-limited and unbounded in its nature. So then you get things like omnipotence, omniscience, et cetera. And then, so this is the being that theism posits to do the explanatory work, the heavy metaphys metaphysical heavy lifting. Um, and naturalism or any kind of variation thereof, either a broader naturalism such as Philippe Leon or kind of what Sean Carroll calls a poetic naturalism, or then maybe even like a, a source physicalism, such as something that op Graham Oppie would opt in for, would be that reality is fundamentally uh, log-governed. Uh, at bottom, no intentions or no mind-like stuff. So mind-independent matter. And these are our foundations the world proceeds therefrom. And then so we look at these two and we compare which, which theories really do, the which hypotheses do the best at explaining these things in conjunction with a particular criteria such as theoretical virtues um, and uh, inference to the best explanation, et cetera, and which has predictions and et cetera. So um, basically, <laughs> Josh, um, basically uh, that's how we look at the question. And I think that uh, the being that theism posits uh, is, uh, is the most advantageous and virtuous theory when we compare them. Um, having a uh, perfect foundation is what I would call it, a supreme foundation. So that's my position. That's what I hold to. That's what I think. I hope that I uh, laid out kind of the current debate in the climate right now. Um, yeah, let's have a yeah. good discussion. That's great. Um, we'll turn it to Dan, but I do want to say very briefly that it is a special debate because we have two models. Um, debating we have tim who models for phil papers quarterly and then we have a super chat from steven which says does dan model for j crew or gap um so maybe you want to address that first dan and then maybe get into like kind of what tim said um but uh, we'll give it to you to kind of give your brief thoughts before we get into discussion uh, i would say j crew or gap would wish that i would model for them here's um, <laughs> you know we'll see but anyway um yeah uh tim that's a lot that's a lot and i I find it very curious that you say that this is the most simplest explanation because you used a lot of words there and I tried to write down everything down as much as I could while you were talking. But um, I'll give you my position on on the theist debate rather. So I use the label for myself as an igtheist, uh, which is more of a statement of, of of almost a political statement, really, more than a particular position, but it is a position I hold, and, and the position is basically that anytime somebody makes a God claim or a God statement, um, I can't unambiguously say that they exist or not exist, because if there's any word in the English language besides maybe art 
that has been interpreted <laughs> like uh, more than any other. It's the word God. God has meant so many things in so many distinct cultures and, um, you know, both in Western and Eastern philosophies and religions. It's hard for me to just say, yeah, I'm an atheist and have that be unambiguous and completely clear to anybody that I'm communicating that with. So I use the word atheist because one, most people don't know what that word means. So they have to look it up. <laughs> and two, um, because, you know, atheism itself, again, like I colloquially, I, I, I'm, I'm defined as an atheist and I do work for the atheist community of Austin. That's fine if people use that. But like I, I make a point to emphasize that if only because there are people that misconstrue um, positions for other people, you know, atheism, um, while not as broad, uh, of a history as Christianity in terms of what exactly that term means in identification does have, um, mixed ideas about what it means. There's some people that say that atheism is, is the belief that you, you know, for sure that there are no gods, that you are absolutely concerned with that. Or there are people that say that atheism can be combined with agnosticism, uh, commonly called agnostic atheism that says that we can't definitively be sure of any particular God came, but we choose not to believe anyway, or rather a lack of belief. So there's different points of view um, on that side of the pew, so to speak, uh, on, on, on what that term means. But I, I stick with the atheist label because um, it, it just makes the most sense to me. If I find another one, that's great. Um, but I, I guess I want to ask because you you know, when I talk about theism, I'm usually talking about the existence of a God in the sense of a creator being, uh, which you did mention, you talked about origins, but you also talked about with normative principles and um, you, you defined it as like a metaphysical hypothesis, which is, I mean, like, uh, obviously, you know, theologians and stuff have been talking about this for a while, but like to encompass so many things into one label, I, I find to be really curious because I, I don't know if you need to necessarily, you know, have it a, a full figured view of reality in order to determine whether or not a God exists. I mean, I understand that and it, like as a consequence of a theistic God existing, you could possibly see the effects on the world. And maybe that's what you meant. And I misinterpreted. Um, but, you know, I, I, I find the parameters there to be so broad I mean, we're talking about ethics. We're talking about metaphysicalism. We're talking about naturalism. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't even know where to start, to be honest. Yeah, um, so much. Yeah. 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 But I'd also say one more thing. I don't think that um, I think you I, I, you were going kind of fast. I'm not sure what you said. You either said naturalism entails atheism or atheism entails naturalism. Naturalism entails atheism. Okay, but that's atheism what I thought you said. Not, atheism does not itself entail naturalism. Yes, I, I would say that, you know, you could have some sort of metaphysical hypothesis of a god, I suppose, that could work within a naturalist framework. I don't know. I mean, like, you can get yeah. creative with that, I think. So I don't know if it necessarily yeah. entails atheism. Yeah. I think uh, I think most, I mean, mm -hmm. I've yet to meet a naturalist that wasn't an atheist, I'll be honest. But uh, I, I don't I don't necessarily think that that's impossible. So I think that's all my point. That's everything I had to say so far. So nice, dude. I love it, man. So, dude, yeah. I mean, you. I mean, there there is a whole lot to discuss. I mean, mm -hmm. this is um, we're discussing the most foundational things. We're talking we're talking about like what is the origins? Like like, like what is the nature of like ultimate reality? And and, and that's what I see the God question being you know, let's get through all the fluff and kind of the surface stuff and, and, and let's really get to what it is, mm -hmm. which is, is reality fundamentally 
perfect in its nature, um, perfectly rational, et cetera, or is, ra or is reality fundamentally at bottom, none of those things, absent of those things. Um, and and that's, really the, that's really the question. Yeah. And so when, when you bring up, um, like when I brought up normative principles and things of that sort, let me clarify. I'm mainly meaning that there are features of reality we can all look at. It's kind of like what, this is what, you know, this is what like scientists are doing. You know, we, we see what our measurements do. Our measurements give us, uh, we, ha we have our data and we write our data down. And then um, we're basically going, okay, well, these measurements, these features, these phenomena that we're observing, um, we need to come up with some models. We need to come up with some hypotheses, some theories um, to explain these things. And ultimately, I, I think that as truth seekers, that's really what we're doing. And so when I say things like, okay, reality has these, has these things, it has consciousness, it has beings who, it has conscious creatures who are aware of moral principles that are rational enough to to think about right and wrong in things. And then I go, okay, um, these are things that are instantiated in reality. I'm going, and reality is ultimately has a foundation. And I'm going, what kind of foundation would allow us to have a higher likelihood of these certain things that are instantiated? And so then we can go to our foundations. We can assess, you know, what, what, what foundation is kind of, is like what hypothesis can we kind of construct using all of our tools of reason that are going to allow us to kind of make this thing more intelligible? We're going to have a less vague kind of understanding and more uh, an understanding is going to illuminate the most. Um, and we have lots of tools. Uh, honestly, like Dan, like, I, 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 um, I, I've taken to using kind of the same principles we use in science um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to apply them to like our grand theories, our worldviews. I'm like, these are reliable methods to kind of understanding the world. And so, um, that's, that's, that's how I'm looking at the picture. I also want to clarify that you brought up something really good. You said that we're talking about metaphysics and things. And, um, I think that's really important because God isn't a physical hypothesis, right? You, you know, we got we, we want to avoid God of the gaps, 100%, right? God, we, 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 you probably both agree with me that God of the gaps um, explanations are not good. You know, they're fallacious. Yes, yes, absolutely. So we're on the same kind of kind of um, side there. We're going. We don't want these bad explanations. We want to minimize bad explanations just because you have one doesn't mean it's actually good, right? So there has to be something that we kind of both look to, like what's what's making a good explanation here. So like. You know, a God of the gaps would be, you know, why do the leaves change color? Because God's changed the color of leaves. No, 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 we can't do that. That's simply explained by laws of nature, initial conditions of like the cosmos. Um, we don't need to explain it in terms of a God, right? So that's the physical theses. Okay. I'm more talking about the God question is the metaphysical theses, which is what explains reality as a whole, not the inner inner parts, the, the the physical mechanisms. We're not really looking for a mechanism. We're saying like, what foundation explains the whole picture? And so we zoom out, and that's what I'm looking at when I'm kind of discussing it. That's that's metaphysics. Metaphysics is about reality, the nature of things, what things are about. That's ultimately the conversation. Um, naturalism is just the other competitor in that kind of explanation. And they, then you know that's where agnostics sit. 
Uh, are you familiar with like Joe Schmidt? Uh, not particularly. All right. Well, he runs the channel Majesty of Reason, but he's a true agnostic. Um, he um, he looks at these things and, and just takes a neutral view. Like, okay, we got these naturalist theories. I think they do good over here. We have these theist theories. I think they go over here. Ultimately, uh, can't really come to a decision um, about what the nature of ultimate reality is and things of that sort. And, and I'm not saying that we need to be not agnostic. I don't think that our knowledge is ultimately itself going to be certain. My belief, all my beliefs are subject to revision, but it's a matter what in our present time now can we kind of say? And then as, as, as we just explore more and, and think more and kind of do what we're doing, I, I, almost, I honestly see like what we're doing as like an exploration, like this is progress, you know, we're, we're coming together. And instead of looking at it like theist versus atheist, um, I'm kind of like, you know, what, what can we, what can we come together? What lights can we bring together? We both have and kind of look at this thing, you know, you're going to look at it. I maybe I'm looking at the angle of the mountain differently than you are looking at the angle of the mountain. So that's how I see it. I know I said a lot again, but what do you, what are your initial thoughts? I want to get them and then we can explore them more. So I hear that you want to explore the topic of theism through the language of science but I don't think that you're particularly asking scientific questions or questions that science could answer. Like asking if, is reality perfect? That's not, a, that's, a, that's a subjective statement at best. And, and certainly I don't know of any scientific tools that could possibly make a judgment like that. Um, and so I think this is where I would have to depart a little bit. You know, I understand um, that these kinds of topics are fascinating and interesting to explore. But if we're going at this, you know, like science is great for providing simpler explanations to things, but this is again, like the most complicated thing. <laughs> like, like I, I don't, I disagree with this idea that this is simple. Like this is explaining a, a, like a, a lot of different principles here. Like I, uh, I, I, I don't understand what it means to say that God is a better explanation over other explanations. Like, you know, another facet of science or at least a principle that people adhere to, which is not a, a specific, you know, uh, uh, tell all rule that applies for every single situation. But the Occam's razor does suggest that we do have to cut out the explanations that make less and less sense to us. And I think over time, well, that's not explicitly what it says. It says that the simpler explanation tends to be the most true one, whatever true means in that sense, but one that we can demonstrate the most simply right and and i don't see how the god explanation does that i really don't like like you asked you know how can we make de decisions about morality uh, independently between people like i think that can be explained by evolution i don't think you need a god for that or um how reality functions the way it is you know like i don't know outside of this reality but i don't know what it means to examine something that exists outside of this reality without looking at this reality you know like i i i know you use the words like you want to zoom out and have a look at the at the grand picture of things but you're still looking at physical reality there you, know, you like all of our observations are physical reality it's what we're experiencing and it's what we're a part of so to make any claims outside of this reality um, about the existence of something or a creator or an origin point or whatever yeah you know, i it seems to be outside of the tools of human exploration it seems to be outside of um, anything rational that we could come up with um, unless there's some sort of, you know, divine 
sort of wisdom, maybe divine vision that comes from the outside. I don't know how we as human beings can sit here and have a conversation and figure out, oh, well, now we got reality all figured out here because, you know, we wrote a couple of papers about it or we had some conversations on it. I, I just don't think that's how we can really know. I think we have to, you know, use the tools that we have, make our best judgments, make our best estimates, and then change things along the way if we figured out that stuff is wrong. Um, and unfortunately, as you know this, Tim, like the God explanation for physical reality, I know that isn't a conversation you want to have, but it has been used as explanations for physical phenomenon for a long time and still has continued every single day by other Christians as well. And, and, and I'm worried that this conversation we're having as well about the metaphysical parts of reality, about, you know, everything else that we're looking at, you know, what if this is the same situation? What if, what if the God explanation isn't the best? uh in terms of the origins of things i don't know um like i said i can't make claims of something outside of this reality i have no like power to do so but i also can't say well i know this is it for sure like uh as a consequence well it you know this might be the best one i don't think the god claim is is the best one regardless um that was a little all over the place there i think but uh, like i said I, I i said this uh can't remember if I said it at the beginning of the show. I did take my vaccine shot yesterday. So if I sound a little crazy, that's probably what it is. So anyway, that was me talking a lot. Go ahead, Tim. No, you brought up a lot of important things. Um, so, I mean, let, let, let's unpack some of this. Mm -hmm. So you, you, um, you brought up the idea, and, and this hopefully will bring greater clarity. You kind of brought up the idea, like, what is the essence of, like, the God question? Like what is, like how is God functioning as an explanation? I made a video on this called Theism as an Explanation. It's my most recent video. And um, the essence of the question is, you know, what are, I, I go back to it, but like what are our foundation? It, it, it's not that I'm trying to explain something that, so, the, so don't think of the God question, I guess you could say as um, in the same um, category as scientific explanation. So, and, and, and that's kind of what I, what I mean by physical, which is scientific explanations um, explain things in terms of mechanism, process, mm -hmm. initial condition, and, and, and laws, right? Um, and theists all agree that those things are there and they're operating. There's this thing called primary causation and secondary causation. And this goes back to Aquinas, the medievals, etc. And secondary causation would be in terms of what we study in science, right? These are the causes of these things. And primary causation would be in terms of like what grounds those things. So it's not that we have evolution, we don't need anything else. It's that what is the, the ultimate root of explanation for the existence of any of those things? So when I say that um, God is a metaphysical explanation, uh, that is the big picture. It is that, that the existence of such a being makes more likely the world that we see. Not that God makes, uh, not that God either creates through evolution or creates through not evolution. It's that the existence of God makes the existence of evolution 
more probable. And, but to, but to say that theism is improbable, you're going to have to put a view on the table. Theism is not an alternative hypothesis. So there is no null hypothesis in this situation. Theism is a rival hypothesis. So if you want to say, well, these natural explanations preclude theism, I think that we need to get into what do we mean by natural? What do we mean by physical? And ultimately, how do these things preclude theism? Why is, in, in terms of prior probability and a priori, why are natural explanations more probable than theistic explanations? And, and when we say natural explanations, I mean, that, this is really why I don't like the supernatural and natural distinction. I don't think it, I think that it becomes more ambiguous as time goes on. I mean, if we went to the first century, right, and they saw what we were doing right now, would it be supernatural? You know, right? It, it, you know, or would it not? You know, you know, would the stuff that SpaceX is doing to first century people be supernatural, right? So I don't think it's helpful. So in a sense, I can call myself a naturalist. I just think that reality at rock bottom is a certain way. And if you want to say that it's not that way, you're going to have to put a view on the table. If not, then if we, all things being equal, an, ex, an explanation that can make, I mean, some sense of something is better than no explanation that makes no sense of anything. So, unex, so it's like, what are we going to opt in for? Are we going to opt in for innumerable unexplained options? I don't think that's what we do in science. Or are we going to opt in for explained options? And I think that you pointed out something really good. I think you pointed out Occam's razor. You asked, how do we assess these, these things? And you pointed one out. You said Occam's razor. You focused on the principle of simplicity, that other things being equal, the simplest explanation is most likely. Um, and so I think that, that that's, a, that's a key. I think that's a pointer, which is if we, if we look at what explains reality as a whole, call it like the, call it history. History just meaning um, uh, the sum total of causal events. Like what is the thing that makes the sum total of causal events that have, ha have occurred in the way that they have, what foundation makes that likely versus not likely? Because when we look at hypotheses, a hypothesis, evidence is supposed to make a hypothesis likely. And you have evidence that will rule out, disconfirm other hypotheses. So when I think about the God question, I'm thinking this is reality at rock bottom and this is everything else. And the naturalist and theist are doing the same thing. They're just saying not perfect, not mind, not rational. But the theist is saying, no, perfect, mind, rational, everything proceeds. So if you want to rule out that explanation, you're going to have to provide me with a different explanation. And so I think that it gets into, okay, well then like, what is the evidence? How is the explaining working? And notice that doesn't rely on specific things such as did the universe have a beginning or did it not? Universe is eternal. Either way, you have a foundation. Doesn't really matter. The whole causal history, the whole history could be a infinite series of causal events, but we're asking what explains the series and what makes most probable the contents of the series. Okay. Does well, that make sense? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, like you, you said that you don't want to use the God of the gaps fallacy, but I think you just did. Like, I think you just told me I have to put a view on the table. Otherwise the God explanation is the best one. Like that is the God of the gaps. I don't understand how that would be different. Um, so I see God of the gaps in terms of how Henry Drummond would have originally put it. God of the gaps is not whenever God functions as an explanation, because notice I didn't give a causal explanation. I didn't give a mechanistic explanation. I gave more of a foundational explanation. Okay. And that's what theism has always been. It's never really been about like, how do we explain the leaves changing color with God? Or how do we explain the existence of a certain limb on an organism with God? It's, it, that's God of the gaps. It's inserting God into what science can find a mechanism for. Science found a mechanism for the color changing of the leaves and lightning. What I'm saying is the existence of atoms at all goes back to a foundation. I mean, I'll be honest, it just sounds like you're doing God of the gaps, but just one step further. I mean, like we can yeah, keep let, going let the metaphysical about. road all day. Like, well, yeah, like, 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 I don't, I don't understand how that makes the world more simpler. If anything, it makes it more complicated because the world is already a complicated place, right? If I were to describe the universe right now, or at least how we got here, you know, like 14 billion years ago, the big bang happened and mm -hmm. then all these stars and planets aligned and then. Uh, this thing coalesced into what we call Earth, and then life started somewhere, and then at some point evolution was happening, and then somewhere we got to hominids, and then eventually us. You know, like, that, like, is already complicated enough, but, like, to add on to that, to say, and then, like, God spoke to people on Earth in Israel two to 3,000 years ago, and, you know, started a, a holy book, and a tradition and a religion that you know expanded across the world and we're still talking about today like suddenly that's more to the story than what we're seeing before like i if, if but the simpler explanation being well human beings have always created religions uh since we've been able to be sentient and conscious um like that has more explanatory power to me than to say well this actual one theistic notion of god which was interpreted through christianity is the one true being. And I don't think it explains all the data that we see and the differences between people's beliefs, as well as how we got here as well, um, uh, particularly with Christianity, of course. Um, that being like, I don't think Christianity, and we'll talk about this later, necessarily has an account for evolution or the origin of mankind as we know it today scientifically. I think it has uh, classically been at odds with those explanations. And I, I find it difficult to reconcile those two yeah. uh, views there, so. Okay, so you said, uh, there's a lot of things implicit in your language. I wanna first say something and get right back to what you said. Okay. I think that maybe this will help. I, I'm not really referring to that the world itself is not complex. The world is complex, we live in a complex universe. Yeah. When I'm, I'm talking about explanations, the simplicity of the explanation. What can explain the most with the least? That's what we look for. You, that's why I handed like, like, yeah, simplicity, Occam's Ray, that, that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, what, we can explain the most with the least. What I was saying is that the, the kind of being God is, is the simplest kind of being. Um, 
I don't um, know what that means. Okay. Well, I want to say one more thing. You said that you don't think Christian has an account of evolution. Yeah, we could talk about that we later. But... In the sense that that there that there's a state of affairs where organisms where life is able to modify itself in, uh, over time. Well, I'm saying historically Christianity has a narrative of the origins of all organisms on earth that does not jive with conventional explanations of evolution. Um, I think any attempts to reconcile the two is um, like a modern recontextualization of like origin story traditions. Um, and we can are talk you, about uh, how, you know, are you familiar with uh, Richard Rowe? Richard Rowe, uh, the, the, the Christian monk guy, or am the I thinking of somebody the, else? The Christian who coined the term dinosaur and was, a Oh, I'm thinking a Christian. I'm thinking of Richard Rohr. Excuse me. Yeah. Richard Rowe was a Christian who, um, coined the term dinosaur, uh, and, um, was already accepting uh, evolutionary explanations around the time uh, when Darwin discovered natural selection. Okay. Um, evolution actually has a great, um, uh, a, uh, a non-conflictual history actually with uh, theistic beliefs, uh, Christian beliefs. Um, and- um, Really? There were many, yeah, there are many scientists at the time. I mean, I mean even in today's climate, um, it's really only a small group of the total population of, of people who well, a third of Christians in the United States right now. I wouldn't well, say that's a small group. Well, I mean, that's the thing. The United States is really the only place you'll find anti-evolutionism anywhere. If you go to Europe right. and look at Christians there, they're, they're going to be uh, evolutionism. I mean, they, they don't have this debate in Europe. Do you guys want to um, get to this like in the next bit, or I mean, we can just yeah. move straight ahead if you guys want, because um, I feel like it'd be good to talk about like theism as an explanation for a little bit before, because I know Tim loves talking about evolution, um, so maybe saving that for about like fifteen minutes from now. Um, sorry to kind of butt in. Oh man, I, okay, yeah. Well, you wanted he wanted clar clarity, yeah, clarity mm -hmm. on like what God, um, the earlier thing about God's simplicity. Yes, um, I don't know what you mean when you say God is simple. I I, I just I just don't know what you mean when you say that. Yeah, uh, Jack, Zach. How much time do I have to get? I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty flexible. Um, but I was planning about like 15, 16 minutes going into like the Christianity and evolution thing. If that guys, if that works for you guys. Um, but I don't know. Sure. It's up to you guys. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give a uh, the best I can given the time. Um, so I'm thinking about simplicity in two senses. Um, simplicity, uh, syntactically. And then simplicity um, in terms of essence, something's in nature. The essence of God um, is, is a kind of being who has no composition. So this has composition. Uh, there are parts that are united that make up what we call this water bottle. It has different parts, they come together, they form this water bottle. God is the kind of being that has no composition. God cannot decompose into anything. This water bottle can decompose into more microphysical objects until you bottom out at like up down course stuff like that with different charges. But God doesn't have that. So God is think about like an unextended but infinite point of existence of pure existence that is simply supreme in its nature, meaning that there's nothing, there's no 
there's like no differentiations in its nature. There's no, it, God's knowledgeable, but God's not going to need to have knowledge via the mediation of neurons. God simply just knows without any mediation, but he knows in a way that's, it, that is unbounded. So there is no lower bound or upper bound in God's knowledge. It's just knowledge, like absolute knowledge. God is absolute. You can think, think of God as like absolute being. And so we can describe God uh, with very few semantical content, a perfect, absolutely perfect being um, with absolute power, absolute rationality, absolute existence, uh, necessary existence. That's what would follow. God's essence includes existence and things of that sort. That's what we see God as. Um, and so God is the simplest kind of being. There is no, if you look at the simplest particles we have, they're gonna still have some kind of geometrical physical structure. They're gonna have some charge. And those are ultimately in the end contingent uh, properties where God doesn't have any of those. So God is simpler than kind of any particle we can see. So, so. So, okay. Yeah. I, I, uh, you just gave a very complex explanation of God. He is absolutely powerful. He is uh, absolutely knowledgeable. I mean, like, I, I don't know how you could get the adjective simple from that. I really don't. Like, I understand that if we look at things at a molecular level, yes, they're still complicated. But yeah, molecular things are still complicated. That doesn't mean that we can also equivocate and say that that God himself is simple. Like, I like... And I also don't know how you know any of this. Like, I don't know where this knowledge comes from because I have not been able to observe a God with any of these features my entire life. Uh, you're the first person to tell me of a God of all of this stuff. I mean, besides, you know, what I've read from other people who've talked about it, but like, I don't know how you can make observations to that effect. And, and if you are making observations to that effect, isn't that examining the physical world to coming to conclusions about things, which is not the enterprise of science? Like, I, 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 no. I'm just very confused. I just don't know, like, how to come to this conclusion rationally. Like, I, I, I just don't know. Dude, I, I, I really appreciate your honesty about that. I mean, uh, really good. Yeah. Um, I think that this is um, kind of a great time to, to kind of think about, like, you know, like, did, did what I just say, did I just make that up in 10 seconds? Or did what I say actually, you know, is there a way we can assess these things? You know, is there a way, is this coherent? You know, does this correspond to reality? I'm a correspondence theorist when it comes to truth. I think truth is that which corresponds to reality. So I, I'm with you, man. I want to kind of uplift that. Um, so what's awesome for you in your situation is that there is so much literature on this topic. Or just, and, I mean, like, and, and, and these views, I, I don't, I, I look, I get it. Like I get there's books of, of people have written about this stuff, but that I can look at this stuff all day. I don't know if it's going to make any more sense to me than what you can just talk to me in a conversation with. Cause look, I can make a similar explanation. Like if we're trying to prove the point that God exists, if we're starting with that assumption, then we'll have to necessarily come to attributes about him like like if i believed for example that there is a secret organization that runs the world and i i have to attribute things to well they must be all powerful because they're so secret that nobody's been able to find them um and, and they must have people everywhere doing their will because there's so many governments all over the world doing things and corporations doing things they have to be able to do these things like i can you know i can come up with these 
you know, after the fact sort of rationalizations for my belief in this secret, all-powerful organization. And that says nothing about the reality or the existence of that organization. You know, we, we can talk about attributes of something all day, but unless it can be demonstrated in something outside of, uh, you know, philosophical necessity, then I, I can't hold a belief in that. If you were to tell me the exact same things about, again, just a, it doesn't even have to be a, a being, it could be an alien of some sort that, that, that has all these things with these origins. I, I would find myself in similar disbelief. I, it, it doesn't really mean much at the end of the day, unless like something can be demonstrated outside of uh, philosophical context or, you know. Um, so yeah. that's really interesting you put it that way. Yeah. Uh, I see philosophy as an equally valid and reliable tool of investigation and inference as science. I actually see it as even sure. more a tool. Um, every claim you have uttered has a metaphysical foundation. You can't escape it. You cannot escape the philosophical underpinnings of what we're, or what we're exploring. So I don't want us to sell ourselves short by like limiting the tools we can use. Science is great, but it has a particular domain in which it is most effective. Um, I think that we can see clearly through our direct access, um, given our direct mental awareness of logic um, and and using the and, and being consistent with the rules of reason, we can like sit down and we, we can like investigate these things. Science is a great tool, and like epistemology, logic, philosophical logic is also a great tool for assessing uh, the uh, internal consistency and coherency of particular things, um, whether or not um, there are any defeaters in which we can come up with that would lower our confidence and the probability of something um, being actual, like those types of things we get into. Um, and ultimately, um, when we get into something like the philosophy of science, the philosophy of science is a particular field dedicated to um, the uh, foundations of the methodology of science. So when you read the philosophy of science literature, um, I have one, I can send it to you. It's called the Rutledge Companion to the Philosophy of Science. And it has um, essays written on how theories are made, what makes a good theory, what constitutes a good theory, et cetera, and um, mechanisms and things of that sort. And ultimately it's philosophy that's telling us why we should accept things as good explanations or not. Occam's razor is a philosophical principle we use. Yes. We, yes. we can kind of see, you know, if you get a letter in the mail and it says from the government, you can kind of go, oh, okay, I don't need the posit. And then like government and then like extra other things. Um, when I know that the government sends these things out, I don't need to posit extra entities. Like you can kind of just see that. You didn't have to like go like, write a paper, go, go read a scientific paper to accept that conclusion. You can kind of just see it through the tools of reason. In the same way, we can use our tools of reason to um, make sure we're being consistent with how the, with what, what we know how reality works, our background knowledge or information. Is this contradictory? Is it not? Is this consistent, et cetera, in uh, assessing these things? I also want to say another thing, which is like, if your positive, like if your secret organization example or if your alien yeah. example makes the most predictions, 
has the greatest explanatory power to explain what you're trying to explain, then like all things being equal, like we should go with that explanation, you know, like, like if that, like, like we posit Adam because they best explain our measurements and our effects. We didn't you know, like, like we see those things. I think that when we, so there's two ways you can go about it. Um, the first way I said is how do we like assess the coherency of like a model of God? And the second one is, well, in science, we look at the prior probability, we look at the intrinsic likelihood, and then to assess whether an explanation can actually explain a particular phenomenon. Um, and then we come up with models surrounded by that. That's just, that's all I'm doing with the God explanation when I'm looking at grand theories. Um, so I, I think that it's a consistent way. Um, and then when we look at the philosophy of religion literature, like that's why the problem of evil is so focused on, it's because it's supposed to present a defeater to show that God's existence isn't likely. And here's a philosophical argument. They didn't advance it. They didn't advance an argument from botany, biology, chemistry. It's a philosophical argument about the reality of evils. And is that consistent? And is that does that um, present disconfirmation or confirmation for theism? Does it present does it present confirmation for atheism or a kind of naturalism? So these are the things that we can do to assess these things. Is simplicity? I mean there are objections to simplicity. What I just told you, you can go read a paper and you can go find objections to God's simplicity that have been written, but they're all, mm -hmm. but philosophical doesn't mean that we can't have any knowledge about this. It's so that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, let's, let's use all our tools, you know? Yeah. Well, like our, I agree. Let's use all of our tools and let's include observations of the natural world as part mm -hmm. of, you know our philosophy right i don't like i'm familiar with the with the literature on the philosophy of science okay like i think every good skeptic should start with working with karl popper and figure out if this whole falsification thing is actually the best epistemolo epistemological method of knowing things right like I, I understand that portion of it but let's go back to my example with the secret organization okay i can give explanations for anything in your life that's happening to you. If your friend came to visit you at the door, I could say my organization planted that to happen and, and, and was making things happen. You're like, I can come up with explanations mm -hmm. all day. Explanations are not necessarily like um, what we're looking for here. What we're looking for here is, is something one, one explanation that can trump another. What is the most likely, which, which you did say. Right. And, and, and my contention yeah, is I don't way. think, I don't think the theist explanation is, the most likely. I don't think that it, it has demonstrated a prior probability. Like that is my biggest contention. Okay. Yeah. So I, I just want to say something real quick on that. I think that's really important to bring up. Yeah. And I want to say that, um, that uh, you would agree with me that there are good making features of explanations, right? That a detailed explanation, all things being equal, is better than a vague explanation, right? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, like what do you mean by best? Like, what yeah. do you mean by best? Like, yeah, like, like a detailed explanation. Like, for example, classical physics struggles really hard to tell us about quantum effects. Yeah. But quantum physics is what gives us greater clarity, a more detailed explanation of quantum effects. So all things being equal, you know, there's a search for quantum gravity which is going to kind of explain these effects, right? It's going to be a more detailed explanation. It's going to have greater depth. So we hope. I think that's a better explanation 
than just kind of saying, well, classical physics kind of struggles. There's mystery about this. And, you know, but quantum physics over here, a unified explanation does get, get us greater clarity. I think the most, when we have greater clarity on something as an explanation, that's a better explanation. That's a good making feature than an explanation that doesn't do that. So I think that there are ways, yeah, it goes back. Like, how do we assess if an explanation is good or not? I think yeah. that your secret organization example, plopping that person on the bar, I think we can just appeal and say that's ad hoc. That that that's how we assess it. Like that's not a good that like that's gonna have disadvantages theoretically in overall its pro probability. And I also want to say, when you say that theism doesn't have a pro probability, it goes back. Well, what are you comparing it to? To to, to say that something has a prob probability or not, you're gonna have to compare that to something. Like you're gonna have to put a view that that shows us that theism is gonna have. Uh, uh, going to be less intrinsically likely because there's something that has a greater likelihood than theism. Sure. I can and give, so I, 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 would, I would wonder like, like what view are you putting on the table that would preclude it in that way? I mean, if you're talking about theism as a metaphysical explanation, but my point with, with metaphysical explanations is that I, I have no way to assess them period. Like that's like, there's no way to determine whether or not one is more likely or another, because again, I don't have the tools to observe that. Like, I, I can't say that it's more likely because I, I don't know what it means, but if we're talking about like, like, you know, things explained physically, which ultimately metaphysics does, right? It, 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 it explains the physical reality that we see, then it could make, it could be that one could make more sense than the other. If we're just talking about the physical facts of things. You know, um, like, for example, if a God literally created a man and woman on Earth versus whether or not we evolved over hominids over time, like, yeah, that's that is a physical explanation. But that eventually talks about metaphysics on some level. Right. Because you have to have a metaphysical explanation for one or the other to, you know, proceed from there. I don't know. I I, 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 I struggle with accepting. um I, I, I struggle with accepting this idea that the God explanation is the best. That, 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 that's my largest contention here. Um, but it, it, yeah. I don't know how we're you at, can determine yeah. that. So I say we're at the 50 minute mark. So I don't know if you guys want to keep this going or transition to evolution. Um, I want to say one more thing and then we can get into the evolution stuff. Sure. So I'll, you, get, you say one more thing, Tim, and then Dan, you can respond very briefly and then we'll transition okay. into evolution. Sounds good. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, so do you think that, Going back to the good making, you, you, so so are we on the same page? Just so I know, are we on the same page that there are good making features of explanations? That there are good, there are ones that uh, like again, good is such a subjective term. I, I'm assuming you mean uh, that uh, have the ability to explain more than others. Yes, I would agree with you there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. So I'm referring to like explain more variables, explain more yeah. observations. Sure. Yeah. That kind of prompts us to go. No, this explanation is preferable. Like yes, yes, I agree with you there. Heliocentrism, right? We we go with heliocentrism. It has it's there's something that there. It's a better explanation, right? It has yeah yeah. It has the right, right. feature. In that in that sense, yes. Yeah. So, I think that, um, um, it, we can kind of look there. Okay. Well, like what's going on there? And and you said explain more. That that's really good. So. You know, you even mentioned earlier, like explanatory power. Mm -hmm. Explanatory power 
a theory, a good explanation, a good hypothesis must have explanatory power. And I see explanatory power as a, when a hypothesis has an explanatory power, it's when a is, is that when the hypothesis in, is invoked, it makes a certain feature or phenomena, either it entails it or it m increases its likelihood. That's explanatory power. That's a good making feature explanation if I think there is one. Um, explanatory depth, um, explanatory scope. So, you know, detailed explanation, depth of explanation, scope, how much it explains. And like simplicity, like we said, you know, not being ad hoc, being able to predict. I mean, those to me, are, I mean, I hope that, I mean, do you agree that those are good? Like, that's what we should look for. If a theory can, if we kind of check those boxes, we're like at a good place. You, In general, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we do have some tools then to uh, to evaluate metaphysical theories then, wouldn't you say? No, because ev everything you just described is in the realm of the physical. I I I I don't know that those tools could be applied to the metaphysical in the same way. I don't know what it means to observe anything outside of the physical, or or what it means to well, um, have one that has more explanatory power than you know. I, 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 it it starts to become outside of outside of what I think is possible for human beings. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might be, um, we could, we could go on forever and ever cause this is yeah. a great discussion. Um, but you guys want to transition to maybe like talking about like evolution and theism now? Is that good? Sure. Awesome. So Dan, you, you talked about there being this conflict, at least in your mind. So do you want to kind of like introduce like where you're coming at with regards to like theism and evolution? And then Tim can kind of talk and you can go for about yes. 20 minutes or so. Yes. Um, like I understand that there are Christians that believe in evolution, right? Like that's pretty much always been a thing since Charles Darwin, pretty much like uh, that doesn't mistake the fact that it, it still isn't a rational position to hold. I don't think that, you know, at the end of the day, while, you know, um, I'm friends with Christians who have this sort of view and, and who do take both, you know, take evolution and take the rest of their Christianity as something seriously i don't think at the end of the day you could really mesh those two beliefs together at least from what christianity has historically been if we determine anything from the bible particularly in the old testament to be literally true if we are going the route of saying that there are more you know poetic metaphoric explanations for things in the bible sure maybe but at that point you do lose some ground there because um there are things about the story all the way up to jesus that that really matter, um, that, that that have to be explained as being real stories in order for um, the rest of parts of the Bible to make sense. For example, the lineage of Jesus himself is is posited in the book of Matthew. And um, a part of it goes back all the way to all these Old Testament characters. And and when, when uh, Jesus is talking about stories like the story of Noah and the story of uh, Jonah as well, I mean, there's no indication to me that there is an interpretation there that um, says that these are completely metaphor. I, I, I don't know, you know, obviously I, I don't speak the original languages that any of these books were written, but um, I find it hard to believe. I am, I am incredulous of the idea that we can just take this tradition that's been told, which again, and I understand not all Jewish people, you know, interpret these stories as absolute literal, but it doesn't make much sense either way to me. Um, if, if you're taking, you know, uh, these facts into account, um, the Genesis narrative 
is one that does not align with our current views of science um, and our current views of how organisms on life continue to thrive. So uh, I, I don't know what it means really to say that you're a Christian and you believe in evolution. So I don't know how you can really reconcile that at the end of the day. Like I, I, I couldn't, I don't know if I could be a Christian and say that I also believe in evolution because I, I genuinely am not sure what that would mean for me. Yeah, well, hopefully I can bring you some greater clarity on that. Um, evolution, uh, for the record, I think most people know, is my favorite field of science to study. Um, and uh, I grew up thinking the exact same thing as you. So, but now I'm in a different position. Um, so I think I find that really funny. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's so, so many things. Like, where do we start kind of to make sense of that? So, well, let me ask you, do you believe in a literal Adam and Eve on Earth 6,000 years ago? When we use when we use the term, so I'm going to put it more specifically. Um, I think that as the first literal couple, um, humans to ever exist of any kind, uh, I do not hold to that. And I and but there's reasons as to why I don't hold to that. So, but we need to get into those kind of th those reasons. So when we look at scriptural texts, such as the Genesis story, um, how familiar are you with hermeneutics? Are you hermeneutically, um, how, what's your interactions with hermeneutics been like? I'm hermeneutically aware, you know, I don't talk about it too much outside of apologists, I suppose, but yeah, I'm, a, I'm aware of some of the methodologies yeah. there. So I, I would say that there's nothing in scripture in, in the Genesis story that commits anyone to take a, a, any particular view on how life came about. Um, and so you're like, whoa, okay, that, that's a lot, this, that, 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 you know, that's a, that seems like an, you know, a, a bit, ex, a, like an explicit claim, right? Well, this is the reason why. When we look at ancient Near Eastern culture, literature, the ancient Near East is where the Genesis story took place. The writers were ancient Near Eastern people. And these are the people that wrote the scriptures. Um, Kehoven believes that Adam wrote Genesis. No, Adam did not write Genesis. None of us were there when all this stuff was happening. Um, this is a narrative. This is a theological narrative to one, give glory to God above all, all, God, all other gods. And two, it follows the same human structure of ancient Near Eastern creation myths. Now, when I say myth, I don't mean not true. I mean, myth as in mythos, as yes. in right, like that way. So the writers of Genesis, they didn't, I mean, they were, they would have known that there are people on this side of the planet. Um, they would have believed the earth was flat, all these different things. They believed that the sun was a disc. The earth was a disc. They believed mm -hmm. that above us was a, was, uh, water, the sky was water, and it was a literal dome, and below us was Sheol that you could go, right? That was the okay. earth. Sure. And scriptures use that language all throughout. Now, that is just the result of a particular people in a particular culture in a particular period of time trying to make sense in a narrative. But 
the narrative is theological in its meaning. So if you read someone like John Walton and Michael Heiser, those scholars, they will say that Genesis 1, the creation story, isn't about material origins at all. It's okay. actually about God ordering chaos and creating a dwelling place for him to have a divine presence. So he's, so he's establishing function. He's giving order because this is how the ancients thought. They thought that a thing didn't really have existence until it had like a purpose, like an, like a function. Like Can this I, is not a water bottle until it's made for drinking. So yeah. this is what the story is. So it's not about like, it's not, it doesn't have any biological significance. They okay. wouldn't have known that. There would have been no so, purpose. Yeah. Can I ask you some questions then? So like, and I, I mentioned the book of Matthew, but the book of Luke specifically is the one that mentions the genealogy of Jesus that goes all yeah. the way back to Adam. So are we saying that this genealogy is not an accurate account of Jesus's life or Jesus's genealogy rather, or are, like, what are we saying? Yeah. So what we're, what we're saying is that when we look at how uh, the genealogies employed worked, we actually mm -hmm. see them, we actually see the same structure of genealogies used in other their cultures, so non-Israelite nations. So I guess I guess I like I, I want uh, kind of your view. I guess like like you don't you don't describe it to be a literal truth. Like you don't think no, it, Jesus Christ was yeah. descended from Adam. So I, I I'm 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 getting I'm I'm kind of having to get you on track so I can kind of get there. Um, okay. So genealogies were never meant to be chronological. That wasn't their purpose. The, the genealogies were supposed to mark the specific and important patriarchs and leaders in a particular bloodline. So that's why it, the genealogies differ all over the place. But they all have a common structure. Some of them can be divisible by certain things, and then you get certain answers, and that's how you get certain things. Um, and uh, they do that with ages. That's how you got certain ages like age 900 adam didn't live to 900 this is something that the ancients did to symbolize something greater such as their position in a particular patriarchal line same thing with the with this genealogies they were never meant to be chronological they were meant to show and pinpoint specific important people in the line that led up to jesus but it's not okay, a but it's not a ancestral history of every single person up till jesus that so the, they were never meant that way. That's what I'm saying. Okay, okay, I get that. I I understand that point of view, but we have to then say whether or not these people actually existed. So are we saying that Adam existed? Sorry, Tim, you there? The internet's a little little choppy, but I, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you hear me? You're good. I can hear you. Uh -huh. All right. Perfect. Um. No, I mean, I believe in an Adam. I'm just saying that I okay. don't believe that the scriptures necessarily commit you to believing that that he was a first. He was the one of the. He was the first literal male to ever exist on Earth. That's why I'm, I'm not saying that. Why? I think we have good reasons as as, as to why. I think that um, one scripturally that Adam is rep represents um, the first priest um, and and uh, Eve represents the first priestess of creation. 
uh, that okay. Adam and Eve were bear were, were to be God's representatives, uh, his image bearers. They were to bear God's image, and he was their representative. You can almost think of it as like them being a first covenant. So, so but you do believe they're real um, people. That's what that Yeah. I, I have no reason to, to think that there wasn't people that were seen as with the role of Adam and Eve. I have no reason to, to doubt that. Okay. Well, like well, I do have reason to think that they were personal people. So sorry, the internet's kind of cutting out here. I'm, uh, I'm not sure if you could do a refresh or something, but it's kind of getting harder to hear you. Hold on. Let me, let me um, rejoin. Okay. I guess I'll just kind of hang out with Dan for a moment. Um, I guess so. How, so, Dan, how's it going? Going all right. I'm just trying to figure it out. Yeah, what, so, so is your problem with – yeah, do you want to kind of like share your worries a little bit more then here while you have a moment? I mean, like – if if we're reinterpreting, I mean, we can reinterpret these stories all day. Like, you, you know, like I don't understand because if we're going to go this way, then there's a lot of other Old Testament stories that need to be taken into account. Um, mm -hmm. And I and now we're having this question of what's real and what's not. What's what is it literally saying? Because the Bible says that God created Adam as the first man on earth and Eve the first woman. You know, and and now we're saying that that's not a true thing. We're saying that this is actually a metaphor pointing to something else. But how is any Christian in their in their right mind supposed to know that outside of having a deep and learned understanding of near you know Middle Eastern cultures uh, from a couple thousand years ago? I just don't. It doesn't seem very reasonable to me um, mm -hmm. to conclude that this is like the correct and right interpretation. What I'm hearing is ad hoc because now we have explanations of evolution like uh, explanations about the history of of the middle east and the jewish people and their cultures there um that don't match up with the counts of the bible so i it it seems like we're trying to play uh, this game of, of figuring out well how do we make it fit instead of coming to the in my opinion the simpler explanation which is these people had ideas that were wrong that they had explanations for things and they had these kind of cultural stories that were significant to them, but ultimately were not descriptions of reality, um, at least in any meaningful sense. I mean, like these, uh, you know, it, it doesn't just stop at Adam. We're talking about the Nephilim. We're talking about the earth being flooded uh, and, and, and all animals on earth being on an ark two by two, you know, like we're, we're talking about a lot of different stories here that are like predicated on like, you know, God doing these things in reality. And mm -hmm. Jesus was, was all right with that. Like, I, I, I don't think Jesus necessarily believed in uh, interpreting all these things as metaphors. I think he, there was a, an understanding, at least in the Christian text that I've seen that these were, and in the writings of Paul as well, that these were literal events in, in, in the timelines that, that they came to. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, I, again, it just seems, it seems ad hoc to me, but yeah, I know. Let's see mm -hmm. if no, Tim's still not there yet. 
He's getting there. Um, so to summarize, um, there's an interesting question we can look at, just like Tim's getting set up here in the live chat, which I was going to say for Q&A, but we can go now because I think it'd be good with like where we're at the end. Um, it says, have you looked into like the early church fathers and their interpretation of scripture, such as like Origen and Augustine? Because I think these are like prevalent people um, who would deny like okay. like they'd accept being like an old earth and some sort of evolution yeah. that they lived way before Darwin. Oh, yeah. Or, or I mean, I used to look at the uh, writings of Origen and, and talking about um you know the the, early, the writings of the early church fathers. When I was a progressive Christian, I really had an affinity for the Eastern fathers on the on the uh, solio, what is it, solio scriptura, what, the uh, the meditation of of scripture and stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I I I'm aware of those works. I don't think their interpretations. You know, all this is saying is some other people had some interpretations about it too. Okay, mm -hmm. but you know, was that been the majority of the like 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 we have to define what is Christianity. What is the absolute truth of it? Because Christianity has been a nebulous thing that's been redefining itself since the days Jesus has been walking the earth. I don't think there is a one true absolute version of Christianity, um, and I don't think there ever will be one. I think it's going to look different 50 years from now, just as it looked different 50 years ago. Um, so it's, it's, well, it's hard. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Can I just say, um, very briefly, like we were unpacking a lot of things here, um, but I'll leave it to you guys for maybe about like 10 more minutes before we transition here. If that works for you guys, um, and I'll let you guys just kind of take it where you want to go. Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. Awesome. I'll head out then. Um, and Tim, you can kind of respond and I'll come back in in about 10 minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're familiar with the concept of mere Christianity. Yes. That. Yeah. C.S. Lewis. Yeah. yeah, God does exist. Mm -hmm. He raised Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is um, your salvation. Yes, um, and, I think, and then, like that's Christianity. Uh, but man, there's so many assumptions in there. There's so many things. I mean, you have to no. believe in miracles. No. You mean, have to believe in that Jesus was the Son yeah. of God, which has its yeah. own theological inter. I mean, like you know, it, that's really not as mere as people make it out to be. No, it, well, it, it's, I mean, it's every, very complex. Every belief system at its core has fundamentals. And then it's well, as, as finite human beings with a, with our like primate brains, right. You know, like how do we make sense of all the implications? And then, like, that's everything else you're referring to, you know, like, like, you know, you'll get a bunch of Christians in a room. I know that if I go to a church, there's going to be no one professing to be a Christian that's going to be really saying that I don't believe in God. I don't believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that I'm saved by him. There's really going to be no one in there saying that. But it's going to be different people saying things like, well, I believe uh, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, um, I'm a partial preterist. Um, and mm -hmm. someone else is not going to be a partial preterist. They're going to be more of like a dispensationalist. Right. But like that's not Christianity. That's how we make sense of certain ambiguous things. And honestly, like that's a symptom of fundamentalism. I mean, this is what fundamentalist Christianity teaches is that everything should be understood fully. Everyone should have all the same ideas and there should be no ambiguity. But the Bible is supremely uh, ambiguous. I mean, it was never like, like it's ambiguous. You have to wrestle with ambiguity, uh, just like how we have to wrestle with ambiguity about how we understand the world. But I, I understand. Clear, I get that. Though, I just want to say this, what's, what's clear in Scripture is salvation. Anyone at any at any point in their life can understand salvation and how to obtain it. I mean, I mean, I mean, what, what's the point of being a Christian? It's to 
love God and then go tell other people so that they can also love God too. I mean, yeah. I mean we can discuss the Nephilim, we can discuss the genealogies, but I mean, Christianity is about salvation and, and love for God and, and understanding how to be like Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures are for. If you read second Timothy, I think first, second Timothy, it says the scriptures are useful for, um, for growing in righteousness, um, action, um, and like, and reproof and things like that's what the scriptures are sure. useful for. Sure. And they are. So I, I don't think it's fair to point out that, Oh, throughout history, certain Christians have had certain debates over certain things and you have the Orthodox, you have the Coptic Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, Coptic Orthodox, you have the Catholics, Protestants. That I don't think that's fair. I don't think that you should that that's the right. I think it's I think it's absolutely fair. I don't know why it wouldn't be. Uh, like so, like, so instead, why do we why do we believe things now in science that we didn't believe a thousand years ago? Because, because we I, have this because of science. Like I think. We have so many Christians that under understand and accept evolution because we know evolution to be, you know, extend because of science. There was no Christians professing evolution before we discovered evolution. Right. I mean, that I mean, it just wasn't a thing. But, and but so, I'm asking, even though science is, an ob is is objective, like we could, we still like there's still diff like there's still like interdisciplinary like views on things that there change. is. And that's that's there's it's no different than Christianity. Oh no, absolutely uh disagree. Because right. yeah, I, I like I like to know because I don't believe that. Um if you're seeing something I'm not seeing, I would like to know. Well, we get better and better at at you know defining the tools that we use to observe the world around us, but yeah. like when we go from a flat earth model to a round earth model, we don't go back to the flat earth model. You know, like right. we and 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 well, we don't uh, go back because that would say that there's science people that do believe in a flat earth. And I would say that they're wrong, but also right. so there, there's something but, you can base off of to say that they're wrong. That these people over here who say I love science are wrong about this one thing. Same thing in Christianity. I I don't think that's a, a fair comparison at all because <laughs> I don't think we know. Here's the difference. I can like I can look at the early history of Christianity and I cannot say in absolute assured confidence exactly what these people believed at all. I don't think any of us can. I think we have ideas and interpretations. I'm, I'm pretty sure modern lens, but well, the mere, mere Christianity was developed by C.S. Lewis. Mere like Christianity is developed by C.S. Lewis. It's a concept. Right. right. But like I'm talking about the concept, right? Like like it, it wasn't this by C.S. Lewis. Well, yeah, it wasn't invented by C.S. Lewis. You're right. The book was written by C.S. Lewis. But, like, you know, oh, man, I'm losing my, 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 my train of thought here. Christianity changes over time because it's an intersubjective cultural idea. Science does not. Okay. Well, that's a hypothesis. That, 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 yes, that's an interesting hypothesis. That is what I believe. Yes. Right. So. I mean, let, let's focus on the details I, of the hypothesis. You, okay. You're saying that no, it, I, it, it changed. I like, yeah, I'd like to continue. Okay, go because, ahead. like, like that's what we see with religious ideas. That's what we see with like political ideas, and we do see that with scientific ideas. But again, like the difference is, we're getting more and more tools to examine the world and understand the truth of things. Like we're not going back and reinterpreting old books 
through science. We're not going back and making new theological conclusions because of science or figuring out like the truth of our like religious statements because of science. It, does it inform people's religions? Sure. But like, that's kind of the point. Like science is, is so good at what it does that people are incorporating it into their own religious traditions because I, yeah, there were there different interpretations of Christianity back then. Sure. Again, none of them talked about evolution though, no. you know, and, and we have to retrofit it now because the evidence is so hard to deny that we have to do something about it. At least a lot of honest Christians do. Some of them don't. And that's why there's a lot of them fighting to put that curriculum in our public school textbooks and, and, and do other things. So, all right. You know, I just have I just have a question because it's just like, OK, so. You think that the best interpretation of the creation narrative. Is that. It has to be about material origins. I'm not saying that. I mean, is that what you think that they thought? Is that the, is that is that what you think the writers had in mind? This goes back to hermeneutics. Is there something that you I don't think the think? I, I don't think necessarily the writers of the Genesis account. However, I do think that some of the writers of the New Testament accounts definitely did. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, the whole, well, yeah. right. I mean, you, don't, don't, don't confuse the, 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 what we're supposed to take away with like the ideas of the particular people, what they were writing. I mean, yes, they believed that earth was a disc, but they used that as a medium, as a literary medium to give us greater theological truth, which is that God is over all things that are created. The, the interpretation isn't that the earth is flat. The interpretation is what is God to us? I mean, think about it. These Israelites, they were taken away from their culture. They were stripped from who they were, taken into captivity. And so they're writing a polemic against their ca captures going, yes. no, we're not gonna worship your God, our God, or uh, ordered the cosmos, he takes the presence, and we are his people. That's the that's the story. The story isn't right. the earth is flat, that there that the earth is an organism, it's in the center of the soul. That's not what the story is about. And you'd have to give me some reason to think that Christians that interpret that way, scholars, Hebrew scholars, Hebraists, uh yeah, Hebrew Rabbi, scholars, yes, certainly. But they, early yeah, Christians yeah. definitely believed like in in, yeah, in, in asking, interpretations. Is that what they want did people to take away is that it did the ancient near eastern people want us to believe the earth was flat or did they want us to believe I that god ordered the cosmos well i don't think the jewish people in, in, intended jesus to be their messiah i don't think i don't think they intended for jesus to be but, well well but but christianity would not be a thing if it weren't for you know the jewish writings uh before right, right? the new testament would not be a thing christianity would not be a thing Without a previous, you know, culture being there with their own interpretations. Right. Okay. Right. I'm talking about the creation narrative. Genesis one. Sure. Genesis one, one and you know that's what I'm talking about. Like Genesis chapters I, one and two. What do they want us to believe? Like I think. Well, first, so this is complicated because I think the Genesis first. account isn't uh, a wholly original account. I think it's inspired by other mythos at the time, and I and I don't think that they're talking exclusively about Yahweh. Uh, originally, I think they're talking about L, uh, and that's why you see the you know the, what they call the royal we in, in Genesis chapter one is, is really if you look at the original language is talking about L and the council of gods that are there. So I so my views on that is going to be way different from yours anyway. 
Um, you know, I don't think I, I think Yahweh was originally like like supplanted into later Hebrew like literature and stuff um, as like they became uh, undertook it as their national deity. Um, but you know that that's a a cultural history there um, that I I don't think. Um, you know, I don't know how that matters to the question, but well, if anything, it only proves my point, I guess, because like they had totally different ideas about what they were writing about. And then other people in the Bible had totally different ideas about what they were writing about. Like I, Christianity and Judaism has never been like one specific idea. So it, I, it's hard I'm for me to sit here and say that, uh, my like, internet, I, I'm, I have no control over that. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. You're good. You're okay. uh, um, I, was, we are, thought, I just don't think there, it's silly to say, that there's one true interpretation and one true exact idea about what these people meant. Cause also these, these, all of these writings have been edited and formatted in one way or another as well. Um, it, it, uh, evidence of this being that there are two creation accounts in the uh, book of Genesis um, that mm -hmm. I don't think there was one writer that sat down and wrote two different things. I think those were cobbled together over time. So again, like original intent is going to be hard to figure out anyway, but I, I'm yeah. Uh, before we, move we are on. at like the one I was going to say, um, if we could go into like sort of, sort of like closing. So like Tim can kind of just give his last thoughts and everything. And then Dan can, um, if that works for you guys or. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, so what do you, I think is Dan just talked, um, we'll give it to you, Tim, just take a few minutes to wrap up anything you want to say here. And then we'll go to Dan and then we'll go to a little bit of QA. So you have questions for you to throw those in. Um, uh, all you, Tim. Yeah. First I want to, I want to just apologize real quick. Dan, if I talked over you during those parts, that was only because there's, there were, there were so many important things said that I didn't want us to like skip over them and talk about. So I wasn't doing that specifically to talk over you and not let you get your point out. Um, just want to make that clear. I appreciate um, that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I do want to say though, that um, if you're not familiar with a, um, a scholar named uh, Ben Stanhope, he recently came out with a book called Misinterpreting, uh, Misinterpreting Genesis, how the creation museum uh, gets the uh, gets Genesis wrong or something like that, and he compiles a multiplicity of scholarly work on these particular issues. I, I think that this single book um, is a refutation of traditionalist fundamentalist views about Genesis entirely. I would highly encourage you read that book and look at all the different sources he cites because he they address. It's hard to take away that we really can't understand what the ancient Near Eastern people were trying to get at. So I would just say that. I also like to say that I really enjoyed this conversation. I really enjoyed just kind of coming to get two people coming together with different convictions about you know the world and and how do we think about these things and um, and ultimately like trying to just gain greater clarity from one another. Um, and I think it was a collaborative process. I really enjoy it. And um, I mean, we covered so many things, like Zach said, we could talk about these things for hours and a day and years and they have been. Um, but uh, I think I understand Dan better and where he's coming from. And I really appreciate that. And um, and uh, yeah, that's all, that's all I gotta say. Awesome, thank you so much, Tim. And then Dan, I'll give it to you and kind of like last closing thought you wanna get before we go into a little bit of Q and A. Sure. Um, first, I'll just uh, respond briefly to the conversation we were just having. Um, I like, like we can we can talk about the original intent of these authors all day, but they again, my 
my point still stands that they weren't talking about an evolutionary worldview. They had their own ideas and their own mythos and their own um, cultural attitudes that they were putting into these texts. So, you know, the, conver the, the topic was supposed to be how evolution and theism, you know, can make sense. And, you know, we ended up talking about fundamentalism there, but like, I don't, I still don't know how they make sense. Like I, I still have not been given uh, an explanation there. And then that's because we, you know, went all over the place, but like, I, you know, from my understanding of how the world is, right. We, again, you know, 14 billion years ago, the universe was a thing. Uh, several billion years ago, we got the earth. Then we have all these organisms slowly coalescing together. Then at some point apes and other hominid species. And then we form together into tribes. And then like, what happens next is, does Yahweh suddenly talk to somebody in in the Middle Eastern regions and 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 do these are these people prophets? Is God talking to Jesus and Jesus is saving all of mankind? Does Jesus know that we're all descendants of ape species? Like like those are questions I've yet to have real good answers on. I I don't know what that means in the Christian worldview to say that we're accepting an ancient earth and we're accepting you know, evolution and everything that comes with that to be true. But that's my thoughts on that. Final thoughts on tonight. I appreciated talking with you, Tim. I appreciated um, your explanations on things. Um, I I think this, I, I, I like how you phrased it, that this was a collaborative process. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't typically do these kinds of conversations. So this is new for me. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm glad I got the experience of doing it. Um, I, I think there's definitely more to be said from our conversation. We can certainly explore things at a different time. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, what, I, what, what's going to convince me of the existence of God is, is gotta be more than, well, I, I said a bunch of stuff, but you gotta read some more books on it to really make sense of it. You know, like it's, it, we, like I, we gotta start from somewhere. And, and I know tonight was more of a, introductory to your thesis on that um but uh i'm still an atheist maybe you can change my mind on that we'll see and maybe you can change my mind on what i'm doing mm, for sure yeah that's great thank you so much guys it's been so much fun um we'll go to a little bit of q a here to wrap things up um the first thing i can't pull up on the screen because it's a little past but plantinga's bulldog says can you ask him to explain what it means uh, for a hypothesis to be simple um he's just worried about like having a clear idea on that um, and explain like why theism explains these things more. So you want to talk a little bit about like simplicity, Tim, and going back to like talking about does God exist? Yeah. So he just wants clarification on the simplicity. On, mm -hmm. on, okay. Yeah. So the, the criterion of simplicity is well acknowledged across the board in philosophy of science as a virtue of a theory. These are things that we call theoretical virtues. Uh, there are many papers written on theoretical virtues. Simplicity is one of them. Simplicity is the most important one because simplicity is going to decide all things being equal, which theory is most likely. So every part of your theory, what you build into it is going to affect simplicity in one way. And so um, simplicity has um, takes the form of Occam's razor. Uh, don't want to uh, multiply um uh, unwarranted entities uh, beyond necessity, or you don't want to multiply unwarranted uh, entities um, for your explanations. Um, and 
so a hypothesis is going to have a uh, going to be more intrinsically likely if it is a simpler hypothesis. How is a hypothesis simple? Well, I can look outside and um, consistent with our background knowledge, I can see that everything is wet. I can go, well, a bunch of birds came together and spit water everywhere. So pausing lots of birds um, and they're spitting water everywhere. So um, takes more to explain this um, theory than simply it rained. Uh, it's one entity, um, something that is consistent with our background information uh, rather than the birth hypothesis. Or let's say that um, there has been um, construction, uh, a, a demolition job happening at this particular site. And you've been seeing that there have been trucks going to and fro from the day, but you conclude that in the middle of the night, a troop of baboons came, wrecked, wrecked everything, and that's why everything was demolished. Well, I'm gonna say that the demolition crew is gonna be everything else being equal, a more simple explanation than the baboons. Um, take a scientific explanation. Um, we're looking for uh, a unified theory of, uh, of quantum physics and classical physics. And we're just looking for one theory that gives you classical effects and quantum effects. That's a lot simpler than just pot, just appealing to quantum effects and classical effects and not having them have any relationship to one another. But the, but the unified theory is gonna be simpler because it only takes one thing to explain both things rather than positing both things that are still mysterious. So these are just certain ways we can look at simplicity. So it's gonna be very much, this is what we look for in our explanations. Um, and so the hypothesis uh, will, a likelihood will be increased because of that. Theism, what I'm arguing with theism is that we look at one God. It's one God and explains everything versus a theory that posits, um, I, let's say multiple universes, which is gonna be filled with uh, multiple, uh, a, a innumerable particles governed by innumerable laws to explain its effects. Um, so that's how I see the God hypothesis being simpler is that one being that's unbounded and versus uh, some quantum state with a certain amount of energy, with a certain amount of uh, particles uh, that can produce a certain amount of universes. Uh, it seems that the God hypothesis is simpler. I only have to say, well, a single God. And this God is perfect. Okay. So that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, we have a question now for Dan um, from Kelvy, which says, um, would you agree that there was a historical Jesus regarding his actual treat? Um, if there was a historical Jesus, that his actual teachings would have been um, true Christianity, regardless of what cultures have perverted it. Um, so getting back to that mere Christianity ideas, do you have any thoughts, Dan? Uh, I mean, as soon as whatever Jesus had to say, first of all, yes, I, I, I do posit that there was a real historical Jesus, but like, like as soon as whatever Jesus had to say, and he's talking to somebody else, like the room for misinterpretation gets there, especially for the fact that we don't have any original writings of Jesus and we don't even have any original writings of, in my opinion, anyone who was around Jesus. Um, earliest dates that we have on gospel works uh, go to at least 
at least like 40 years after death. Um, and that's a lot of time to come up with new and, and interesting ways to reinterpret things. Now, I know scholars have tried to point out to um, some of the evidences that these are, you know, we can actually trust these documents to be more reliable than we think, the, the, uh, the Apostles' Creed and whatnot. Um, but uh, I still hold to the position that the fact that we do have, I mean, even the fact that we have four Gospels that um, I, I do believe, if taken all into account, describe different events and different things, um, already shows right there that from the very beginning, Christianity has had different interpretations, different ideas of what it's meant, and, and different fractures. I mean, even it's even self-admitted in the works of Paul. Paul was not accepted amongst his fellow Christians, uh, not all the time anyway. Uh, he, there was controversy there between uh, Paul and Peter. Um, and that's just from the Christian documents that we can look at today. Um, I mean, who knows exactly what the you know original peoples were thinking exactly to the T. I mean, yes, we have some idea. We have some writings, obviously. But the, the fact that it is a cultural idea, uh, you know, means that it's going to be um, extant to the exposures that any idea, any other religion does, which is that it changes over time and that it gets reinterpreted over time. And that, um, you know, the idea of, of, of purity, of keeping that purity is, is ultimately an illusion um, for, you know, most things. Yeah, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. We have a question now for Tim from Giovanni Padilla Jr., which says, um, do you think Adam and Eve are the first humans um, in the sense that they were the first humans endowed with a rational soul? Oh, sorry. I thought the internet cut out. Um, <laughs> You're good. I was like, oh, not this again. Um, endowed with a rational soul. Well, <laughs> I, I might. I know I might be sounding like I'm making this more complicated than it is, but that that's going to have to get into my view of the soul. Um, I don't think God just implants people with a soul. Um, so I don't. I don't believe that. Uh, I think that Adam and Eve were God's first. Uh, uh, um, Chosen representatives of his, of the, of of humankind. That's that's what I believe. Um, so, yep, other humans mm -hmm. outside the garden. Um, I, I mean, even if I mean, even if you look into Joshua Swamidas's hypothesis of the genealogical Adam Eve, which I am actually very much convinced by. I have his book on it. Uh, very good book. Um, extremely good. Uh, probably the best on it at this moment. And. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that uh, I think that, you know, having other humans outside the garden, the Bible does not do anything about that. Um, and they either could have been either the most human like animal or the most animal like human that we have ever seen. Either way, they would have been of the hominid. And um, so that's all I'm really going to say on that. It's a, I think it's a pretty, pretty simple view. Can I ask you approximately how long ago uh, Adam and Eve we're here on earth. Do you have an idea of that? Well, if we take the genealogical hypothesis, which is what I, which I, which uh, I'd say I hold to, um, it can be as recent as seven to 10,000 years ago uh, that the uh, most recent genealogical ancestor of all humans living today uh, would have been around then. So uh, of all humans living today from Adam and Eve. Yeah. As genealogical ancestors, not genetic ancestors, but genealogical ancestors. The universal genetic ancestor, I think, goes back uh, like more than 100,000 years ago or something like that. Don't quote me on that. Something, it, it's something like that. Uh, but no, genealog uh, genealogically. Uh, can, I, can I, I'm sorry, I keep asking questions, but I, I don't know the difference. What do you mean when you say genealogical versus genetic ancestor? Yeah. Hmm. 
So like I'm genealogically like related to like my great, great grandfather. But if you look, look at our DNA, um, I mean, rarely do we really give DNA like it, it, to like that's noticeable enough to 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 make these grand inferences. So, for example, uh, there's such things called uh, genetic ghosts and such. Uh, that we have that we have a lot of genetic ghosts um, when we look into the evolution of humans. Um, I think that's what they're called, genetic ghosts. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, genealog so genealogy. Is 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 like the ancestry we always think about, like oh, I'm genealogically related to my great great grandfather, but I'm genetically related to, um, to my parents in this way, etc. So, um, we would have received our genomes from, um, not from a couple, um, but from um, we humans arose as a population. That's what uh, population genetics tells us. Genealogy is very different than genetics. It's gonna it's gonna be about. Um, so I guess my my question is more of a specific clarification. Like you believe all humans on Earth are descended from two specific human beings, like all human today. beings currently living, living today, modern humans. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, and um, what's really awesome about Swami Das's book is that there is nothing in uh, science uh, that actually uh, can disconfirm or confirm it. Um, it's very I strongly disagree with that. I'll tell you that right. It's now. Actually, um, yeah. I don't want to get into a debate on this right now, but um, as we're getting close to the end, um, Josh's book is actually endorsed by an atheist colleague of his who is like who says like, yeah, the science is sound in what Josh is saying. It's just the theology, which, you know, you have to take by faith. Um, so it's yeah. my college. Yeah. I, I guess I went to a different college because my anthropology classes definitely didn't say that we all came from two specific human beings at one given time. So I don't. Know. I think we Maybe. all agree. I think you guys agree here. It's just you're saying yeah. it differently. Um, I, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, Dan. If you look into genealogical ancestry, genealogical ancestors um, change all the time. So in the future, it's going to be a different genealogical ancestor pair of than the next generation of humans. It, it's not a controversial claim. It's just that genealogical ancestors change all the time. Genetic ancestors, genetic ancestors, though. Universal genetic ancestors, though, take a long time to get to. So uh, geneal gene genealogy is very different than genetics. So no, your anthropology class should not say, um, but it, um, it's been the book and the hypothesis has been approved and endorsed by people who are who don't even believe that there was a historical anatomy, but they're saying, yeah, there's nothing I can find in the science that will actually say, no, this hypothesis is false. Uh, it's just a theological uh, really debate at that point. So. Uh, maybe that can clear something up. But. I, I guess I'm still not sure I understand the difference. Um, like, like if you're still saying that two human beings were eventually like the result of all, like, like I, I, I get this true at like some level, but you're saying that happened 10,000 years ago, which like, isn't my understanding of how we know human beings. A, 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 a recent universal, the most recent uh, universal genealogical ancestor I'm saying can happen as recent as 10,000 years ago. Okay. Um, Logically speaking, and I might not be explaining that well enough, but. So were there human, there were human beings before that? Yeah. But they just didn't have souls. No. Oh yeah. There's that part too. Thank you for giving me that part of the question. I totally forgot about it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, my take on the soul is that, um, um, any 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 living organism with conscious identity is that's a, that's what the soul is. It's our con it's our self. It's the self. It's the conscious self. 
we build our souls over time, actually. So uh, it's our identities. That's what the soul is. And I think, and it gets into my greater metaphysics because I think that consciousness is, uh, is I'm an idealist, so everything's in consciousness. Everything's mental. So um, then uh, objects of mentation, other mental objects would then be, I guess, eternal uh, because consciousness itself is eternal. Um, so I don't think that God like implants a soul. That's just what our identities are. That's what we refer to as the soul. I don't, I'm not a dualist. I don't think that there's this soul in the brain controlling everything. No. Okay. I think we are at about time here. Um, so if you guys are good, we can wrap things up now. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Any awesome. other questions? Um, there was one more question that I put out and then I'm going to have to go soon, but what's the takeaway says for Dan, um, in regards to no writings in Jesus's immediate company, isn't it possible that the writings, um, the persecution of Christians would include the destroying of their writings? So I guess, um, probably the last question here, but just a hypothetical question for Dan. Is it possible that the persecution of Christians would include destroying their writings? Well, um, if we're talking about the, you know, like early, like first disciples of Christ, I guess the first thing we need to ask ourselves is are they were they literate enough to like create uh, the gospel narratives there? And I, I would find that there might be some contention there. Uh, but like beyond that, like, OK, if they're destroyed. I mean, I'm not sure what that would demonstrate. Like if, if my point being is still that the Christianity changed over time. I mean, it has and it did. Like just because some people wrote down what Jesus said doesn't mean that it they can't be misinterpreted in any way. They're misinterpreted today every day. So like I like that doesn't like ancient history is the same way. It's not like people changed. It's not like everybody was exactly on the same page. Um, and again, early extant writings that we do have of Christianity do demonstrate that. I don't believe that the the uh, the all of the early works of Christians um, were like congeal with each other. And um, on top of that, that's it's 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 why we have books, quote, uh, you know, uh, books of the Bible that aren't in the Bible. That's not like the, the scholarship, but like, you know, like the you know, we, we do have writings of early Christians that aren't considered canon, that aren't considered, you know, legitimate in the authority of the church because people had different ideas. Um, and so, yeah, I think that would go all the way back to Jesus, if not to Jesus, then right after. So, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. uh what the point would be there. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I know that's great. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you guys so much both for, for your time. It's been so much fun. It's amazing. We've been here for like an hour and a half and I think Tim froze again um, and we've covered so much already and you're back, Tim. Don't worry. You're good. I see you. Um, so thank you guys so much both for your time. Um, I encourage Dan, you can check out his channel at truth wanted and Tim at invoking theism. Uh, but thank you guys so much for this debate and this discussion. And I think we built some bridges. So thank you guys. And thank you, everyone, who tuned in. I hope you have a good one. Um, blessings to y'all. Good night.